morning. I want to let you know a couple things before I get into the sermon. It might not be obvious from the attendance at these first services, but the church is growing and growing and growing. Last Sunday, we had the highest attendance we've ever had on a Sunday morning. Uh, We had 166 people between the two services. Just to give you some perspective, last fall about this time, uh, we were sort of getting back from easing of restrictions and summer mode, and I thought we might be doing well if there was 90 people here. And when I first started four years ago, there was a, an average attendance of 75, so we've, we've more than doubled over the past uh, number of years. So it might not be obvious from this size group, but something's happening, and it's a really good thing. And uh, it, the next service, I'm sure, will be quite full again. So that's exciting. What it means is we need to, as I've said before a couple of weeks ago, we need to start anticipating how to prepare for that, how to plan for more people to come, because I believe this is kind of just the beginning. Uh, John mentioned that there is an annual meeting on Thursday night. Across all of our three sites, uh, attendance has been going up, and there's been issues with that, especially for buildings in the other two sites. And uh, so that's going to be a pretty significant meeting. You're going to see an email probably this afternoon that has a bit more detail about what we'll be talking about and voting on. So if you're not already on our church-wide uh, email list, uh, maybe talk to John or put something in the, in the uh, offering box with the, the, con- the Connect card, and we'll get you connected. Probably not in time for that email, but if you miss it, just let me know and we can forward it on your way. All right, that's all I'll mention by way of those things. Uh, Ecclesiastes. On a day like this that's dark and dreary, Ecclesiastes kind of seems to fit better than a sunny day. And as we started into it last week, you you, you begin to see that there's a weight to it and a weight to that book. And uh, I said that's a good thing. It's a good thing to take a moment to stop and look and pay attention. Now, when I was a teenager, there was one summer where my family went up to Ontario, where my grandparents live. And when we were visiting my grandparents, my grandmother, I call her Nana, Nana gave me a book. She was always trying to give me books that were kind of vaguely religiously themed. I think she knew that that was important and that she wanted me to have a faith of my own. And so she would often give me gifts that were kind of themed like that. As a teenager, I did not appreciate that. But I received those gifts, and they have paid off often in my life far more than I could have imagined. Some of you know what it's like to have a grandmother or a mother or or some relative that has kind of encouraged you along in your own faith. And maybe you didn't appreciate it at the time, but it's paid off in your own life. Well, that one summer, she gave me a book. It was called Radical Advice from the Ultimate Wise Guy. It was a book for teenagers about how to live well, how to have wisdom as you grow older. And because we had driven uh, up to Ontario and we were driving back, I had a lot of time in the car just to kill. And so while we were driving, I started reading the book and started reading the book. And what it was about was wisdom from King Solomon. Now, King Solomon, uh, when we, we are introduced to him, he's King David's son, and he takes over after David. And while he is still a young man, he has a dream, a vision. And God offers to him anything that he would desire. Solomon's choice is wisdom. God is pleased with this. He says, because you've chosen wisdom, because you've chosen so well, 
you're going to receive a lot of other good things as blessings as well. And the, the stories go on and on about how wise King Solomon was. And as we uh, come into the book of Ecclesiastes, as I mentioned last week, it's not explicitly stated that, that it was written by King Solomon, but we are meant to hear it in his voice, even if it's not necessarily him that wrote it. We can think of it like a play. And as we come into the play, we remember, oh, this is King Solomon, and what is Solomon known for? He's known for wisdom. And the book that I read had all these ideas and instructions about how we can live well. Now, wisdom, that's what wisdom is about. Wisdom is about skill for living. You can think of that as a synonym or a definition for wisdom. It's skill for living. And so the book that I read, it was giving all kinds of uh, tips and advice from the scriptures about how we can live well. Let me give you an example from Ecclesiastes of some of the wisdom that's in there. Ecclesiastes 10, 9, and 10. When you chop wood, there is danger with each stroke of your axe. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. I remember hearing a, a, a proverb, not a biblical one, but years ago, uh, th there's two men, and they, they go to chop all this wood, and the first man, he's just going at it, he's just... <clears throat> He's going at it, and he looks over at his friend after a while, and he's, yeah, you're wasting your time. You haven't even started yet. And his other friend is over there just sharpening the axe, sharpening the axe. Well, the first guy, it takes him four hours. The second guy, he sharpened his axe for an hour and did the rest in two. Right? That's wisdom. That's knowing where to invest your energy so that it goes well for you. And what Solomon here voices in Ecclesiastes is that a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. You don't have to work so hard. You don't have to be quite as strong. Work smarter, not harder. He says that's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. So he says when you have wisdom, it will help you succeed in your life. When you work hard to learn and pay attention, to develop skill for living, you'll have success. Wisdom is seen as valuable. Uh, let's go to the next slide. We see just a number of uh, places. I've, I've just selected four of them through Ecclesiastes where it talks about the, the value of wisdom. In 7.11, it says, Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing. Wisdom is like an inheritance. That's, that's a great thing to receive. 7.12, Wisdom is a shelter. Wisdom preserves those who have it. 9.16, Wisdom is better than strength. 9.18, better to have wisdom than weapons of war. So powerful, so worthwhile is wisdom. And when we look at Ecclesiastes, it's considered one of the wisdom books. It has this perspective of teaching us how to live well. And King Solomon is known for wisdom. Now, let me take you back into how I, I set this up last week. You'll remember uh, that verse 1 of Ecclesiastes is the introduction. Someone comes out and says, please silence your cell phones. We're ready for the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you King Solomon. Verse 2, it opens. And Solomon begins. You remember the thinking man. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Or remember, as we said, air, vapor, everything 
is empty. This is the great man of wisdom. And then he begins to tell his own story as that, be, that continues to unfold. He's introducing us into this whole story. What is he known for? He's known for wisdom. But then we see on the, the next section here, I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. So the great king, known for wisdom, the very first thing he does after he's gotten us into this moment, as he's introducing this whole play, the whole story that he's about to tell us, he says, the wisdom that I'm known for, meaningless, like chasing the wind. The more wisdom that I had, the more grief that I bear. The more knowledge that I have, the more my sorrow is increased. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think the amount of news around the world that we're exposed to these days is so much higher than it used to be, say, 100 years ago. And I'm not sure that it's always great for our mental health to know every blip, every up and down, every emergency, every crisis. We bear the weight of these things. To know more is to know more things that are difficult and broken and suffering in the world. The more people that I'm exposed to in my life as a pastor, the more that I've gotten behind the curtain of some of your lives, the more that I've seen the difficulty, the struggles, the pain. I've heard the stories about brokenness. The more that we have wisdom, the more that we have knowledge, the more grief, the more sorrow. And Solomon, who was thought of as the wisest person in the world, is saying that the more that I understood about the world, the more I saw how unfair it often was. The more problems that I could see, the more complexity that there was in solving any of those things, the more that I recognized injustice, the more sorrow that I had. He says all the wisdom in the world doesn't relieve you of that. You know, think about someone that you uh, maybe look up to in your life. Maybe someone who's skilled in your area of business or work or a hobby that you enjoy, some activity that you appreciate. You know, if you're a painter, maybe you look at uh, a certain painter and you think, oh, that's incredible. I'd like to know how they do it. Or you look at a musician and you say, wow, I've been playing the guitar for 40 years and I'm not that good. How, how do they do it? Or you look at a business leader and you say, they grew a company from nothing to... How do they do it? I want to know the secret. As we come into Ecclesiastes, here's King Solomon and what are people saying as they look to Solomon? How does he get so wise? How does he have such wisdom? How, how can I be wise like him? How can I live well because I know how to do this? And what does Solomon say when he pulls back the curtain? Wisdom, even wisdom, 
isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Whew. Well, as I said, what he's doing in this play is he's going around from one thing to another in life, and he's dismantling it. And the first thing that Solomon does is he dismantles the thing he is most known for, his greatest asset and attribute, wisdom. You can imagine, if you will, he's there on the stage, and he goes over to one object at a time, and the first object he picks up is a lantern glowing with light. He says, wisdom, even wisdom is meaningless. I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. And he sets it down. He starts to take it apart, and the light goes out. The thing he is most known for, his greatest attribute, he takes apart and says it's nothing. It's empty. It's meaningless. What else is there? Let's continue on as he begins to unpack this even further. He says, so I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? So it's as if he says, okay, so I've been able to see that wisdom isn't the end of the game. It's not the thing that's going to save your life. It's not the thing that's going to do all that you want it to do. So he takes it all apart. He says, so do I go the opposite way? Do I go into foolishness? Do I just give up wisdom? Do I stop caring? Do I stop trying to learn? Do I stop trying to be skillful in the way that I live? Do I just go the opposite extreme? But then I thought, wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. You can see him pick up the lantern again. It's better to have the light of wisdom. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. He says, yes, wisdom is greater than foolishness, but it's still like chasing the wind. Then he continues on in this moment. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. Again, it doesn't seem like he's having a very good day here. But he's giving us the cold, hard reality, what he's come to see with what's before him. He's not pulling any punches. He's going right for it. What's the thing about wisdom? He says, no matter how wise you are, no matter how skillful you are at living, in the end, you will still die. Whether you're wise or you're foolish, in the end, both, both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So he says, yes, wisdom is good. Yes, it's better than foolishness. But in the end, you still die. In the end, you will be forgotten. It's difficult to find. It's hard to find. And in the end, everybody dies. Whew. On to the next. 
he comes to this point, and he, as he's taken wisdom all apart, he's dismantled it, and he said, there's all these flaws in that. In building your life on wisdom, as good as that may be, it will never ultimately provide the meaning that you seek. Because you'll ultimately have to die. But he says this, I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. And you can hear maybe the smile that just creeps up in one corner of his mouth. Not even the wisest people know everything, no matter what we claim. But here in this moment, what we see is the same thing I introduced last week, that the play begins with that sense of meaningless, meaningless, air, emptiness, vapor. But what he ultimately comes to in the conclusion is that the only thing we can do is to fear God. We have to look beyond the sun. He, he surveys everything under the sun, but we have to look beyond the sun to see the Creator and to look to His ways. And here what we see in 8.17 is, I realize no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun, so let's look beyond the sun. Let's look to God. We can't understand all that God is saying and doing, but let's look to God. Let's fear God. Let's respect and honor God and follow His ways. Because no matter how much wisdom we have, it won't matter unless we know something beyond the sun. And as we begin to think about that now as Christians, now Solomon didn't have the ability to see beyond his time. But we now know that years to come, there would be the presence of God himself here on earth, Jesus. And God entered the world, came under the sun, to experience what we experienced, to show us what life was meant to be like, to live a life that was perfect and offered as a sacrifice, to defeat death, to conquer it by raising from the grave, and to allow us to experience the fullness of that. Rather than the emptiness and meaninglessness of a life that's lived under the sun, he offers us a life that goes beyond the sun, a fullness of life for an eternity. Uh, let's go to the next slide here. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul writes it this way, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. It's not simply that Jesus was wise. It's that Jesus is wisdom itself. And so if you want wisdom, if you want to live well, if you want to have a life that's full of meaning... Look to Jesus, who is wisdom. Look beyond the Son to the one who is eternal. Look to Christ. Next slide. Jesus himself says this at the end of his most famous uh, discourse, his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. He comes to the end of it all at Matthew 7, and he says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house. Is anyone remembering the past couple days, a year ago? Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. 
But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods and winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And so what Jesus is doing here is echoing even the, the teaching of Solomon, in a sense. And Solomon says, there's nothing you can build your house upon. There's nothing you can build your life upon that will stand. It will all crumble. It will all fall apart. Even my greatest asset, wisdom, is nothing. Look to God. And here Jesus says, nothing, nothing that you can build your house on, nothing that you can build your life on will stand. It's all sand. But my words are wise. The only sure foundation. The only truth that will last. Go to the next slide now. In James chapter 3, we read a description of wisdom that comes from Jesus. Now, uh, James was one of the brothers of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but my brother would never claim that I was the Messiah. For James to believe that Jesus is who Jesus said he was is a strong indication of the truth of Jesus' claim. And James is writing a description here of wisdom that you will see reflects the character of Jesus. Real wisdom in this life will look like Jesus because it's built on Jesus. It's built on that rock, that solid foundation. So listen to how James describes wisdom. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. The wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds, shows no favoritism, and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You say the kind of peace... And the kind of truth that Jesus invites us into, the kind of wisdom that Jesus forms within us, is beautiful and kind and generous and good. It's sincere, it's selfless, it's pure, it's peace-loving, gentle, yielding to others, merciful, fruitful, not favoritism, sincere, peaceful, righteous. What Jesus offers us is the way, the way to life. And what Solomon is able to point us to is he's able to take it all apart and say, even wisdom won't save you, but wisdom still has value. But look to God. Look to God above all else. And Jesus comes in and he says, there's only one way to be wise, that's to build your life on me and my teaching, my way. And so, when we listen to Solomon, when we listen to Jesus, the question needs to be asked, what are you building your life on? What's your greatest attribute? 
What's your greatest ability? What's the thing that you are most known for? How does that shape your life? Is it something that you lean on to give you a sense of identity or purpose? Is it something you lean on to give you a sense of your own personal value? Is it the thing that you trust in when things are difficult? What is that thing that you most lean into, that you look to stand upon? And have you yet seen that it is but sand? No matter how valuable it might be, no matter how good that skill might be, no matter how beautiful the thing you are able to make with your hands or do with, it will all ultimately end up dead or in the junk drawer or falling apart. Only what's done in Christ will last. So Solomon dismantles and lays down his greatest gift and points only to God beyond the sun. He says everything else under the sun is empty, it's vapor, but only what God does will last. And Jesus says, build your life upon me, for I am wisdom. So, The last slide that I have here is another verse from James, and it says this. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. We can have wisdom, and wisdom is a good thing. But real wisdom begins with the fear of God. Real wisdom begins by looking to Jesus, seeking first his kingdom, and basing our life from that. Real skill for living, real, full, abundant life comes from knowing Jesus and living in his way. Everything else is sinking sand. So if you need wisdom, look to Jesus. If you need a solid rock to stand upon, look to Jesus. If you want to live well, truly well, look to Jesus and live from his wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came to show us and teach us how to live well. Not simply offering a life that is eternal beyond our death, but also a life that here and now is full and abundant and free. And so, Jesus, we look to you. We look to your way. Help us to build our lives on your words, your teaching, your instruction. To not lean on our own understanding, but to find the only rock that will survive the storms and difficulties of life. Help us to recognize that whatever gifts or abilities that you've given us, no matter how good they may be, they will ultimately fail us. It's only you. It's only you that will last. And so Jesus, help us to cling to you. Just as Solomon dismantled the things that 
were his greatest asset. He laid them all down and looked to God above. Today we lay down the things that we're holding on to and we look to you, Jesus, as all the more, all that we need. We celebrate you as our Savior. You alone are the one that gives life. So give us wisdom. The wisdom to follow you. The wisdom to lay down the things that we cling to, to hold on to you all the more. Give us wisdom to live well in a way that is righteous and honoring you and peaceful and a blessing to others. Give us wisdom that your life would be brought to fruition and fullness in us so that we might look like Jesus, living by his Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.